0: So Tim Bedwell makes all of our, our sermon bumpers, and I, I told him last week, Tim, I want you to like create the soundtrack of my life. I love the songs that he uh, that he chooses for those. Every time I come out to preach, the last couple of series, I got a little little bounce in, in my step. But hey, good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be up here with you this morning, and uh, and just be able to share. Uh, not just in in worship, God's presence, but with God's people and to be able to share just from his word today. It's gonna be a good morning. Uh, Last spring, my daughter Nora uh, said that she wanted to play soccer. And so we signed her up for a league down in Bedford and I volunteered to to be her coach. Uh, I I played soccer through my freshman year of college. I had coached um, several high school age teams. And so I thought, you know, I can certainly coach a U6 team. I felt pretty confident in that. And I was really dumb on on my, Part, I realized very quickly that I had, I had no idea what I was doing. None of my experience either as a player or a coach prepared me for what I was entering into as a U6 soccer coach. And, and in fact, I don't know really that there's anything um, that can prepare you to coach U6 league um, other than like if you take a box of cats and not like a small box, but like a big box, 20, 30 at least, and you hop them up on catnip, laced with sugar, and then send them out into the field to chase a bunch of birds and try to round them up with only a whistle. That's a lot like, you know, coaching a U6 soccer team. So I had never done that in my life. So I wasn't really prepared for what I was getting into, but I had some amazing kids uh, that were excited to be there. They wanted to learn how to play soccer. They wanted to have fun. And so I thought, well, I'll give it the best shot. I can't. So I, I taught them a drill uh, that, that I remember doing when, when I was young. And, uh, and I thought that it would be a good drill because it, it helps kind of work on like ball control and keeping your head up. And, and the drill is, is just simply, you take the, the soccer ball and you put it right in front of you and you just do like little, little toe touches. And so the ball's there and you just go like that, just back and forth, back and forth. And uh, so I, I demonstrated that for, for our, our players and circled them all up. And they started doing it. At first, they were all doing a really good job. And, and, and that's when you know, my confidence in them maybe exceeded their ability. And so I said, hey, now, now let's like try to take our eye off the ball and look up just a little bit. And that was when chaos ensued. Because what I failed to, to realize is that, that five- and six-year-olds don't have a very well-developed um, fast-twitch muscle system, and so when they put their foot on the ball, it stays there for just a little bit longer than it does when, like, you or I would do that. And, and so when you have 40 to 50 pounds balancing on one foot on a soccer ball, that soccer ball has a tendency to kick out from underneath them. And... These kids were dropping like sacks of potatoes all around the, the, the field. Uh, I'm not even kidding, within 10 seconds, kids were falling left and right. Parents who were watching practice on the sideline were like getting up out of their seats to go check on their kids to make sure that they were okay. And I remember thinking, what have I done? I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> they didn't ask me to coach again this fall. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Now, the, the drill itself is good. In fact, I mean, if you've played soccer, you've done that drill. It doesn't I mean all the way through, uh, even into college. It's just a drill that you do because there's some really good, just fundamental techniques that, that you learn in the drill. My execution was the problem. Uh, but in that drill, like, you know, you're teaching ball control and being light on your feet, but you're also teaching to keep your head up And to look around, to kind of scan the field for the opportunities in front of you. It's like opportunities uh, to break and make a play, opportunities to make a pass to to a teammate. And that's that's important when you're playing soccer. You have to have your head up to be able to see the opportunities in in front of you. And and I think for for many of us, myself included, don't we just like go through life with our head down, focused on what's only just right in front of us? And we go through life and, and our head is down. We're focused on, on things, good good things. Uh, hear me, they're good things typically. We're focused on our job, building our career. We're focused on our family, making sure that they're, they're provided for, they're taken care of. We're focused on, you know, fun stuff like paying bills and making doctor's appointments. Again, all really good things, but, but our, our heads are down and we're focused on these things in, in life. And, and I'm telling you, we miss opportunities that would be staring us in the face if we only... Brought our head up and looked around us. Opportunities to bring hope and to shine a light and to make a difference in the lives of, of others. And, and, and this is the kind of life that Jesus. Uh, modeled for us. Jesus was intentional about everything he did. And, and because of that, his head was always up. He was scanning. He was looking for opportunities uh, for for him to bring hope and, and shine a light in the lives of, of others. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4 and hold it there. John Chapter four, we'll also have the words up on the, up on the screen. Uh, our, our facilities team, production team, continue to work on our house lights. Just a little bit of an update on that. We're getting closer, we're getting closer. Appreciate everyone's patience on that. And I also appreciate uh, their hard work to, to get these lights back on so that, you know, we can see our Bibles when the preacher says, turn in your Bibles to John chapter four. But that's a good time to have a Bible app on your device. John chapter four. So we're in the the second week of a new series called Live Like Jesus. And over the next several weeks, we are going to be doing a deep dive into just looking at how Jesus lived. And not just like how Jesus lived, but how Jesus made disciples how he approached life, but then how he approached disciple making, how he trained and equipped and released people into this world to go out and to make a difference in the lives of others. And and just a really simple kind of working definition of discipleship is is this. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus in our attitude and our actions. It's becoming more like Jesus in our attitude and our actions. It's allowing ourselves through the work of the Holy Spirit to be conformed more and more and more into the image of, of Jesus. And, and as we grow in our faith, and as, the longer that we walk with Christ, then the more we should notice, and, and not just we should notice, but the more others should notice, that we are starting to kind of take on the character and the attributes and the actions of Jesus. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at not only how we can do that, but also how we can help others do that. Because here's, here's the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus sitting in here this morning and, and, I, and I, I wanna recognize like, I know not everyone in this room right now is. I know that especially at our 9.30 and 11 o'clock service, uh, we have a lot of folks who come and maybe you're here today and you're just kind of exploring faith. Uh, maybe you're only here today because someone drug you here and promised you lunch afterwards. If they did take them up on that, like hold them to that, make sure they take you to lunch after this. Maybe, maybe you're here because you're like legitimately seeking. you have spiritual questions and, and you're looking for answers and you thought, I think I'll go to church and see what they have to say. And if like if that's you, if you haven't quite yet crossed this line of faith, man I just want to let you know thank you for coming. Like I'm so glad that you're here and my prayer is that this will be a safe place for you to explore and uh, to, to hopefully find Jesus. That's what we want for you is to find the hope and the life and the love and joy that we found in in Jesus. But for those of us who are sitting here this morning and we say, and we've, we've found that, you know, we've crossed the line of faith. We've plunged ourselves into the depths of the water and we've come up into new life with Christ. We, we have been commissioned. We've been sent out into this world to be disciples who make disciples to take what we have found and know in Jesus and to pour that into the lives of others. There's no wiggling out of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so in this series, we're doing this dive into how Jesus did that so that we can learn uh, from the master. So last week we looked at Jesus' relational approach to disciple making. This week we are looking at his intentional approach. And in our text today, Jesus models for us what intentional living looks like. And it's by keeping your eyes up, looking at the opportunities before you. Now, just to catch us up on our our text here, John chapter four, we're gonna start in verse four, but there's a little little context of what's going on here. Jesus and his disciples are on the move. Uh, They are leaving the region of Judea and they're heading up to Galilee. And, and John gives us an important detail in verse four that I think speaks to the intentionality that, that Jesus moved to. Verse four says, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Had to go through Samaria. Now, the truth is, geographically, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, in fact, because of the tension between the Jews and Samaritans, a more popular route was to actually go around Samaria. It was a little bit longer, but most people were glad to take it to keep from having to go through that wretched city and community of Samaria. But I think that Jesus is intentionally going through. I think that's why John says he had to go. He's, he's intentionally going through this region. He is crossing these strict cultural and racial boundaries to point us to a new kind of life, a new kind of unity in the spirit. One that tears down walls instead of building them up. And so this is why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Verse five. So he came to a town in Samaria called Saqqar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, kind of set the scene here just a little bit. It's noon. It's the heat of the day. Jesus is tired. He's thirsty from the journey. And so he just kind of plops down near this well. When all of a sudden a woman comes to draw water. And, and our first sign that something is, is going on here, one is that she comes alone, uh, and two, that she comes in the middle of the day to do a job that oftentimes is done with others. It's done in the context of community, and it's almost always done at the beginning of the day before the heat begins to set in. And and it could be that the woman had, you know, been there earlier that day, got some water, went back, was was cooking, doing some household duties and, and she ran out and so she had to go back out and, and get some more. But, but the context of what we're going to read a little bit later shows that that's probably not the case. She probably came later in the day because she didn't want to be seen around others. Um, this woman's promiscuous woman probably didn't feel welcome by the other women in town and so she was forced to come later in the day. And and Jesus, even though he was tired, I mean, we've all been there, right? Like we, we get to, to a point where just like, I've got nothing left to give. I'm tired, I just need to sit down for a little bit. There are some days when I come home from, from the office and, and I just I just wanna pull my car into the garage go inside, close the door, shut the blinds, and just, uh, nothing, right? Like, anybody else with me on that? And you're like, yeah, that's my life. Uh, like, that's, that's some people, that's just where we are. Like, we get, we're so just consumed by everything that is right in front of us that, that we just need to uh, breathe. We just need to take a break. And, and Jesus, very likely could have been in that moment, walking, tired, hot, just wants to breathe. But, but he's not going to miss this opportunity that's right in front of him to share hope to this woman. His eyes are up. He's looking for opportunities. And Jesus, in this moment, crosses yet another boundary by striking up a conversation with this, with this woman. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And it's hard for us to see in our our cultural context, but Jesus is beginning to intentionally steer the conversation in a spiritual direction. He's already kind of connected the dots as to why she's here alone at noon, and he offers her Living water. And and throughout the the Old Testament, living water is a metaphor uh, for for God being the source of life. And so, what Jesus is offering her in this moment is not physical water to quench her, her physical thirst. He is offering her life. He's offering her something that will quench that thirst inside of her once and for all. And she either misses the metaphor or she wants nothing to do with the conversation. <laughs> You've probably been in a conversation like that. A person keeps trying to steer it in a direction that you don't really want it to go. And so you keep distracting to try to bring it back over and, and regain the, the control of it. And so it goes on, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw off with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Oh, hey, by the way, are you saying that you are greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Man, there's some pain in that statement, isn't there? Give me that water so I don't have to keep coming here. Give me that water so I don't have to keep putting myself in this awkward situation. Give me that water so that there, that, 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 that thirst that is deep inside of me can be quenched. She's, she's either finally getting to the heart of what Jesus is talking about, or she's finally ready to admit that there is some brokenness and some pain in her life that she's been going to all of these different wells trying to fill and trying to fix, and it's not working. In fact, it's only leading to more brokenness and pain in her life. And so she says, Jesus, give me this water. And like a skilled surgeon, Jesus intentionally cuts to the heart of the issue. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Can I be honest? Like there are some times when I read these verses and I'm like, man, Jesus, that was like poignant. That, that's just like calling this, this lady who's vulnerable in this moment out. It doesn't really seem kind. You know, the same is true if a surgeon just kind of came up to you on the side of the street and said, hey, let me start cutting on you Here. I wouldn't be very kind, but in the right context, in the right way, at the right time, man, that skilled surgeon using that knife is gonna produce the results that we need. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's not allowing himself to be distracted. He stays intentionally focused on what this woman truly needs, which is that, that, that spiritual thirst inside of her to be quenched. And after a little more conversation, this woman is now fully aware of what she needs and she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. In this encounter with this woman at the well, Jesus is intentional. He's intentional with the five W's and the H that we learned in grade school. Remember, he's intentional with the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Because of that, he was invited to stay a little bit longer. And verse 41 says, because of his words, many more became believers. This woman who came alone to the well because she was afraid and she was ashamed has now become one of the most bold evangelists that we read in the Gospels. Come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. She became, in that moment, a disciple who made Disciples, And I'm telling you, listen, all around the world right now, there is an intentional disciple-making movement based on this approach, based on this model that Jesus left for us, that is transforming not just communities, not just cultures, but I'm telling you, it has the power to transform history as we know it. I read just the other day that that, um, more Iranians have come to Christ within the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries combined. Think about that that more have found the hope of Jesus in the last 20 years than in the last 1,300 years combined, and it's because of this intentional disciple-making movement that is sweeping through Iran and other cultures. And today, I am delighted to invite two of our supported missionaries who serve in Ghana to share with us what they are seeing through this intentional disciple-making movement. So would you please help me welcome to the stage Terry and Amy Ruff. Let's give them a hand. Hey guys, good morning. Good morning. Hey, we're in the home stretch. Last one. Last one. Thank you. Thank you. Pull up a seat here.
1: So, yeah,
0: we can. There we go. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, so I have told you this before. I wish that we could have just taken the entire service and said, here, here's a microphone. Tell us what's happening in Ghana, because it's really, really exciting. Uh, but could you just briefly describe what God's been doing through your ministry over the last uh, couple of years?
1: Well, since we've been here about a year ago, uh, things just continue to explode and multiply. And all it's just God doing his thing, and we humbly saying, thank you, God, for letting us see this. But uh, for the last five years when we've been doing disciple making movements, finally had a breakthrough, to today we have 2,000 discipleship groups that, uh, meeting in a Muslim context, in northern Ghana. 12,000 people attend those 2,000 groups, about six per group, and 8,500 baptisms over the last five years. Wow!
0: Man, can we praise God for that?
1: That is that's a movement of the Spirit, right that, there. Amen. And that, and that's among forty-five different tribes. So it's just amazing what God, it, God is doing. He showed up in all power
0: and and people who predominantly are are illiterate as well. Um, but but you guys are are making inroads with them to be able to share with them the hope of Jesus, and uh, and that's for them too. Uh, so I I think that as Um, American culture becomes more and more post-Christian. You know, we're seeing that trend happening. It started at the coast. It's certainly moving into into our community. And in a lot of ways, not even post-Christian, but like non-Christian, because there's not even a faith to be post-from anymore for a lot of people. I I think that as church leaders in America, we're going to get to the point where we're like, we don't know how to do this anymore. (laughs) We don't know how to make disciples. And we're going to be reaching out to our mission partners who, like you guys have been doing this for years, saying, teach us, how to make disciples now in this new culture that we find ourselves in. And so how you know what are some of the intentional things that you're doing to make disciples in the culture that you're in that maybe we can learn from here in, in Bloomington?
1: There there's a training, uh, the guy that trained us that and then it, it sort of swept down through different levels of leaders to all the the people in the groups. Um, it's uh, it's just Disciple Making Movement Training, or we call it Jonathan Training, but, um, and it's, you can find it on zoomeproject.com. We'll put Can, it on that, can you spell
0: that for us? Just, and we Z- will put it on our Facebook. Zoom, Zume,
1: Z-U-M-E project.com. Okay. Zume is a Greek word for yeast that spreads through the whole lump mm-hmm. and dough. So the lump and dough is the earth, and the yeast is the disciples that are spreading through. And it's in 14 languages now, and it will be in more languages. Uh, uh, I I think the goal is at least 34 within the very near future. And it it, it is all the tools that we fit in our little imaginary toolbox or (laughs) pouch. And tools, how to to lead somebody to Christ, uh, how to share your testimony, how to uh, uh, discover a person of peace that's receptive. And, and they're all very simple how to, how to facilitate a discipleship group. Because everybody it, there, everybody understands they're to make disciples. Mm. And, the, and the people they disciple are to make disciples. Mm. So, yeah. just one uh, simple example, a very powerful tool, It's called the Blessed Prayer. So, Amy will share about that.
2: Whenever our disciple makers go into a new place, uh, they always go prayer walking. And people will ask them, you know, why are you here? What are you doing? And we're praying for you and your community. Can we pray for you? And so they use this little tool, uh, an acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S, and it stands for pray for their body, their physical health, and for them and their families, pray for their labor, the work of their hands, how they receive income, how they sustain themselves, uh, e for emotion, their emotional health. Um, help them, you know, remain healthy emotionally. Pray for their social relationships, their neighbors, their friends, their family, husband, wives, uh, co workers. Pray for their spiritual relationships. So bless body, labor, emotion, spiritual, and physical. Um, social and spiritual. Yeah, social <laughs> and spiritual. Yes,
0: I've, I've, over the last three services, I now have this acronym <laughs> have, down in mind. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's really cool. So they go in there and, and they just pray that prayer as they walk through the, the community. And and what you're finding is that people are hungry for that. Yes. They, they want more yes. and they're spiritually curious. Mm-hmm. And and when you show them Jesus, they they want to know I'm more.
1: Love it, yeah. so. So you immediately know if you have somebody that's receptive mm-hmm. or if somebody somebody's not interested. If they're not interested, they sort of try to get away as quick mm-hmm. as possible. But rarely does that happen. Yeah. Oftentimes, you're invited back immediately to their hut to meet their family. Mm-hmm. And it just goes from there. Then the next time you go back, they have more people there. Wow. You have you have groups that form within just a few weeks, usually. way yeah.
0: That's, that's so cool. So one of the things that we talk about at Sherwood Oaks is uh, that we want every person who's a follower of Jesus to have a one life. Like one person in their life who's not yet a follower of Jesus that they're just intentionally developing a friendship with, uh, discovering their story and just discerning what is this person's next step to Jesus and how can I come alongside. And I think that that blessed prayer is a great model for us just to begin praying over our one life And if the opportunity presents itself, maybe even to pray with, with our one life. That's really good. So what are some of the challenges uh, that you, um, there's probably not many, but you know, if you had to like name a challenge that you experienced out on the field, uh, what, what would a challenge be that you're, that you're facing right now?
2: Well, every day is a challenge. Um, when you are. Reaching into the enemy's territory. He's not happy and he will put lots of obstacles in your way. Um, It can be physical, uh, your health. And this is for all of the disciple makers. Uh, It's not just Terry and I. It's every leader, every group leader, every person in a group is facing challenges physically, emotionally, uh, with their relationships, with their families, and um, just... In making that switch from uh, Islam and animism into relying on Jesus Christ as the only one who can help them. So every day is a challenge and um, we're sustained. Uh, No movement happens without extraordinary prayer. And uh, we're sustained by those prayers, us and everyone in the movement.
0: I heard somebody say one time that Anytime you begin playing offense for God's kingdom, Satan is right there to, to play defense, <laughs> and he does that. Yeah, you're taking territory that's, yeah. <laughs> that was his, and uh, making, a, making a kingdom eternal impact mm-hmm. in the lives of others, yeah. and that's really exciting to see.
1: The challenge right now is one of our uh, teammates, uh, Bobby and Mandy, they're a married couple with four kids, uh, they're with Mandy's mom who had a lung transplant and a Bypass surgery the same day. I've never heard of anybody have a lung transplant. But she's got a lung transplant, <laughs> and she just coded yesterday. So they had, they brought her back. But uh, you know, of course, that you know that takes Bobby and Mandy where mm-hmm. they need to be, but away from what they're doing in Africa. So we need you to pray for them. That they'll be able to-
2: yeah, the enemy will get you wherever. He will can hurt you. So it could be you physically, emotionally, or spiritually. It can be uh, your marriage. It can be um, your, your family. Mm-hmm. So your family yeah. here in the States, you know, we've had lots of difficulties, our kids, yeah. you know, that yeah. he's attacked them as well. Yeah.
0: But the promise that we hang on to mm. is that greater is he right. who is in, in us than he who is in the world.
2: Yeah. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Thank yeah. you. Father, uh, just thank you so much for the ministry that Terry and Amy Ruff are leading in Ghana and beyond. Thank you for Isaac and for Moses, these faithful men who are just serving in the field and and raising up disciples who are making disciples. Lord, we celebrate um, not not the numbers, but the lives that those numbers represent that are internally different and changed because of this ministry. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will protect them from Satan's attacks. I pray for uh, this this lady who had the lung transplant and bypass on the same day. And Lord, just that you will, Will, um, heal her. That you will help their, their family just to surrender this to to you, God, and to see your hand at work in, in her life. And uh, any way that uh, that they are being distracted from the work God, that you will just help them to refocus on you and what you're doing, uh, Father. For the the disciples who are on the field right now, Lord, would you give them everything that they need to be able to do the job that you have called them to do uh, to make disciples? We love you, and we are just so grateful for the opportunity to celebrate uh, what you're doing this morning. In Jesus. Name Name. Amen. Amen. Can you uh, thank the rest with me thank as well? You,
2: thank
0: thank you. Me. Uh, good stuff. So, so as we kind of close out here this morning, how, how can we be intentional? Like right here in our own backyard, right here in, in Bloomington, Bedford, Ellisville, wherever it is that we may live, Spencer, how can, how can we be intentional? Um, just about making disciples right, right here. And I think really what it comes down to is that it takes keeping our spiritual eyes up and open to see the opportunities that God puts in front of us every, every single day. And, and the best way that I found to do that <clears throat> is to start each day just with a very simple prayer. God, help me to see people the way that you see them and love people the way that you love them. Help me to see people, God, the way that you see them and to love people the way that that you love them. And it's amazing that when I pray that prayer, the opportunities that I look up and I see all all around me. And I think that that this is a prayer that that the Lord delights to answer. One, because it, it means that we're aligning our heart with his. And anytime we align our heart with the heart of the Father, man, that just pleases him. And we begin to see him work. But number two, I think in a way what you're doing when you pray that prayer is you're making yourself available to those who are around you and who are in need. You see, we live in a world where people are feeling more lonely and isolated than ever. And they're wondering, does anybody care about me? Does anybody notice me? Like even though we are constantly surrounded by people, uh, even though we are more connected than ever with people on our devices or through social media, So many of us feel more isolated and alone than we ever have before in our lives. And we have an opportunity each day to be available to people for conversation, to listen to them. And will it cost us something? Absolutely it will. It's gonna cost us some time. But David Augsburger wrote, being heard, I love this line, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. And that's true for you too, isn't it? Like when you feel like somebody heard you, doesn't that feel a whole lot like love? It's amazing the difference you can make when you just listen, when you just listen to people, because it shows them that you care. You care enough to give them a little bit of your time. This past week, I got to meet an incredible lady named Kristen Shell. And Kristen is, is leaving a, leading a movement called the Turquoise Table. Uh, several years ago, she uh, had left her, her career to be a stay-at-home mom. And, and while she just appreciated that opportunity, she found herself just feeling more lonely and, and isolated than she ever had in her life. And, and so she's decided to do something about it. So she hopped on Amazon and she ordered a picnic table. Who knew that you could get a picnic table from Amazon? But evidently you can. And so uh, two days later, because she had prime shipping, it was delivered to her house. <laughs> (laughs) I don't know if that part's true, Uh, but the rest of it is. Uh, It it, it arrived at her house and she worked, she got it out of the box, she put it all together and she plopped it in her front yard and she looked at it and she goes, "Ah, that's missing something. And so she got some turquoise paint and she painted the the picnic table turquoise. And and she, she just began to invite her neighbors to come and join her for coffee and conversation around the turquoise table. And now she has created a movement where neighbors are connecting like never before. She told me that they know of 400 different turquoise tables that are spread out around the U.S. right now. And I think the lesson for us in this is that what you do, listen to me, what you do is not nearly as important as just do something. Do something with intention. And if you do it, and be consistent. Be consistent. Now, if you want to be intentional about making disciples, be there over the long haul with people. Don't give up, don't get discouraged. I heard Bob Goff say on Thursday night that it takes a radish 20 days to grow. All right, follow me here. It takes a radish 20 days to grow, and it takes an avocado plant 14 years to grow before it starts producing its fruit. And he said this. I want to pick radishes, but God wants to make guacamole. (laughs) In other words, God doesn't always operate on our time frame, does he? So be consistent with others. Be there over time. Don't get discouraged. Invite a friend out for coffee. Go, Go golfing with a buddy that you know that's going through a hard time. Be available and be consistent. And you're going to make a difference in the lives of others. Here's the thing. If you thread the gospel into your relationships... Eventually, you are going to weave a tapestry of grace into someone's life, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's exactly what they need. We have the greatest hope in the world through Jesus Christ, church. Do you get that? We have the greatest hope in the world. We have not just hope of life here, but we have hope of life eternal, where one day God will make all things new. He will heal every hurt, wipe away every tear. We hang on to that hope that is ours because of Jesus And each day we are surrounded by people who are desperate for the hope that we have in him. They may not know that that's what they're looking for and they're chasing it and all these other things only to come up empty. And we have that hope and we can give it to them. Only Jesus can fill that void and he is inviting you. Can you believe that? He is inviting people like me and like you to join him in intentionally inviting others to follow us as we follow Jesus. Man, let's be a church of disciples who are raising up to go out and to make disciples. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, thank you so much for just the love and the grace that we have experienced in Jesus. And for those that are in here today that maybe haven't experienced that yet, the love and the grace that they too can experience. And thank you just for how intentional you were in pursuing us in our heart and everything that you did to bring us back into a right relationship with you through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the cross. Lord, that is our hope, and it... It is what we cling on to when life gets hard and we know that that there's something that's pulling us through and that we can can hope for what we have in eternity in Christ. But Lord, in the meantime, may, may we not just put our eyes down until that day comes, but may we look up and take this posture where we are scanning the field in front of us just to see the opportunities that are laid bare to bring life, to bring peace, to bring Jesus so give us the courage to do that and we pray it in Jesus name amen
2: thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church did you know you can view any message from the past 6 years at socc.org/messages you can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv